Good morning, everybody. Doing okay? You guys good? Good. Okay, so last night, uh, something happened, and it reminded me of another story that, that I want to tell you guys. So we were at the five last night, and I hope I don't embarrass this gentleman, but I was in the middle of teaching, and uh, a guy's phone went off over here, and this is going to sound mean. It was one of those, like, ringtones. You know, like, it sounds like the old, like, analog phone where it's just that obnoxious, like, like ring sound. It's not like a soft, gentle, you know, sound, very soothing sound. It was very, very, and it was very loud. And so um, I, I try to be, you know, very careful not to be rude in those moments. And maybe I'll pause a little bit and kind of give the person kind of a gentle, you know, like, okay, my phone's going off. So he was frantically trying to turn it off. And so he was good about it. But it reminded me of a couple of years ago. Ah, this has been longer than that. It's been, we were at the building we were at before we, we bought this one. And our whole sanctuary was about the size of, of this center section. And um, we didn't even have a stage. So I was on the floor. People were sitting. It was very, very intimate. You know, a couple hundred people in the room. And uh, this one time I was preaching. <laughs> this guy's phone is going off. And he didn't realize it was his phone. Everyone else knew it was his phone. <laughs> but he's sitting there and it's just ringing. It's super loud. Older gentleman. And I'm teaching. And again, I'd pause every once in a while, kind of like, you know, hey, let's turn the phone off. And didn't want to say anything to be rude. And and it kept going and going and going. It even stopped and kept going again. Someone called back. And finally, this guy goes, oh, 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 I'm sorry, everybody. I'm sorry. Hello? <laughs> and he's like, no, I'm in church right now, man. Preacher's, preacher's right there in front of me. Like, and we just all kind of sat there. And you know, I was like, just listen to his conversation. And he wrapped it up. And, and I, I continued on. <laughs> I mean, good times. So anyways. We are working through the Gospel of John. If you've never been here before, this is what we do. We go through whole books of the Bible. And um, this is a, a pivotal book of the Bible. They're all important. Every single word of this book is important in there for a reason. This one is, um, it's extra special uh, for a lot of reasons. One, it was written by one of the 12 disciples, not only one of the 12, but one of the inner three. So one of the closest disciples. Many, many words of Jesus that are recorded in here, which is very, very special. And we get the gospel, we get the teaching straight from the mouth of Jesus through his disciple, John, given to us. And um, last week, Mike did an absolutely phenomenal job with chapter two, a couple of really great stories in chapter two, Jesus turning water into wine, Jesus getting upset in the temple and throwing out all the money changers. Whenever people say, I don't think God gets mad, you've never read John. Chapter two, he gets a little upset, throws everybody out of the temple, and um, one of the interesting things that Mike talked about last week, he talked about three different things that separate us or keep, of, keep us from Jesus. But I think the most provocative one, and it bleeds right into chapter three, is one of the things that keeps us from Jesus is often religion. Religion keeps us from Jesus, right? This idea that we can just do things repetitiously and that earns our way into heaven, uh, that's religion. And that doesn't, that doesn't work, right? It's a personal relationship with Jesus that we must have, which is a huge part of the conversation that we're gonna talk about today. We're gonna meet a guy named Nicodemus who has a conversation with Christ. It may be the most important conversation ever recorded. Um, some of the most important words ever recorded are in John chapter three, especially verse 16, right? That God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not die, but have everlasting life. We're gonna talk about that. So we're only gonna do about half of this chapter because it's too important to rush through. And here's where we're gonna to hang today. And this is gonna be really fun, especially on Super Bowl Sunday, really fun. That we are constantly told to pursue ourselves and our society. We are constantly told, we, we frame it up in kind of cute packages sometimes. We say things like, follow your heart. Follow your heart. Do what you wanna do, walk your own path, live your own life, Live your own truth. We are constantly pummeled with that. And so the, the, the question I want to pose to us this morning is, um, how is that working for us? How's that working for society? How is that working for you as an individual? Because this is basically what Jesus is going to be discussing with this guy Nicodemus today. Flesh versus spirit. Okay, that's what we're going to be talking about a little bit today. So you should have got a notes handout when you walked in. Everything will be in there. Everything will be on the screen behind me and the screens on the side. Um, if you have a smartphone, uh, the Experience Community app, just click on Sermon Notes. Got everything right there. If you have one of these old school copies of the scripture, I still like books. Um, 
Towards the back of it in the New Testament, we have the Gospel of John. This was written in the first century AD, about 85, 86 AD, John wrote this. And we're gonna be doing about half of chapter three, okay? All right, good to see you this morning. Let's pray. Let's see where, uh, see where the Lord takes us. If some sarcasm accidentally seeps out of me today, forgive me. It did in the other three, and I thought I would catch it by now, but I'm gonna do my best, okay? All right, so let me pray. Father God, we love you. Lord, thank you for everyone in this room this morning. I thank you, God, that we have the opportunity to come in here. Uh, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, for the freedom we have to study it and to worship you, Lord, the way we want. Um, God, keep your hand on our church this morning. I pray that you protect our church, bless our church. We don't just pray for our church, though, Father. We pray for every church in our city that teaches the word. We pray for our other campuses, Lord, and all the churches in those cities. We pray for our wonderful nonprofits that we get to partner with, especially the ones we're partnering with this month that help with uh, pregnancies, God, and, and sometimes unwanted or unexpected pregnancies. And we just pray blessings over those organizations. Financially, God, with, with uh, influence and, and just that their mission gets carried out, Lord. God, ultimately, the thing we pray for the most is we pray that you be lifted up. We pray that you become our focus this morning, God, the focus of our entire lives. Keep your hand on us, Lord. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I'm gonna read a little bit. We'll break it into small chunks and... Uh, We'll see where God takes us. This is what John writes. There was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform these signs you do unless God were with him. Jesus replied, truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How can anyone be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked him. Can he enter into his mother's womb a second time and be born? This is very important. So if you have never read the New Testament, the Pharisees are kind of the, the, the antagonists of the story. They're the bad guys, if you will. They're eventually gonna have Jesus arrested and crucified. They eventually have James, the brother of Jesus, uh, uh, arrested and killed later on. They were, they were the main antagonists during the first century or so of Christianity. Now, not every single one of the Pharisees were bad, as we see. There is a high-ranking Pharisee. The Pharisees were kind of the religious and kind of governmental leaders of the Jews. Nicodemus was a very inquisitive, seems like good guy. And he came at night to discuss basically what Jesus was doing. And so some people ask, well, why did he go at night? And you try to make, sometimes we try to make more of it than what it probably was. Some people think maybe he was afraid of his contemporaries or afraid of being embarrassed. More than likely, Jesus probably just didn't have the time to talk during the day. He was preaching, he was healing people, he was traveling from town to town, and so it was probably just the most convenient time for them to meet at night and have this deep conversation. Now, this conversation is immensely important and how it starts is immensely important. Nicodemus says, Rabbi, we know that you come from God. The word rabbi means teacher. And so the fact that Nicodemus addressed Jesus as rabbi shows that he is putting himself in the position of student. He's saying, Jesus, teach me something. To say that takes humility, especially from a man who was wealthy, powerful, and of the highest education. Nicodemus had it all, but he understood that he didn't know it all. And so what we learn from this conversation is that Nicodemus is on his way to learning what it takes to have eternal life, and that conversation begins with humility. The pathway to salvation begins with us being humble enough to say, we need to be saved. We need to be saved. We don't know it all. We don't have all the answers. We don't have the means of saving ourselves. We need a savior. That's where it all begins. And we see that in this conversation with Nicodemus. So Nicodemus assumed that God was with Jesus because of these miraculous signs that were taking place. And if you notice, Jesus doesn't, doesn't even address that. He goes to something completely different. And he says, Nicodemus, the only way that you're going to see the kingdom of God is if you are born again. And the reason why Jesus said that is looks can be deceiving. What I mean, what I mean by that is this. 
The miraculous can happen to people who are not saved. Not only that, people who are not saved can be, can be an instrument in performing the miraculous. Well, Corey, where do you get that from? Straight from Jesus himself. In chapter seven of Matthew, Jesus says, many will come to him on the day of judgment and say, Lord, didn't we do a bunch of miraculous things in your name? And Jesus will say, you did, but we didn't know each other. So looks can be deceiving. Salvation does not come by miraculous manifestations. Salvation comes from a manifestation of a relationship with Jesus. That's how we are saved. We must know Jesus Christ. So looks can be deceiving. Religion can also be deceiving. Nicodemus uh, had a hard time understanding simple spiritual things because his religion got in the way. So here's the thing. The knowledge of Jesus and even doing repetitious acts that are good, like coming to church every single week, those things are meaningless if you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus, if you don't know Jesus. Now, some of you are saying, well, Corey, you just contradicted yourself. You're saying the knowledge of Jesus is meaningless unless you know Jesus. Isn't that the same thing? No, I have the knowledge of who Brad Pitt is. I know who Brad Pitt is. I do not know Brad Pitt. We do not have a personal relationship. If you're watching Brad, you can give me a call. But um, I know of him, but we don't know each other. There's a lot of people who know who Jesus is, but they do not have a relationship with Jesus. And they think coming to church every single week saves their soul, and it does not. They think that dropping some money into the baskets around the room saves their soul. It does not. They think wearing a t-shirt or putting a bumper sticker on your car saves your soul. It does not. The only thing that saves your soul is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It is a desire to know him. And we call that, the fancy word for that is sanctification, which means over time we start to resemble our Savior more and more and more. We act like him. We think like him. We are growing in our relationship with him. And so Nicodemus is trying to wrap his head around all this. And the second question he asks, even though it seems a little bizarre, he's probably being literal with this. So Jesus says, you have to be born again. And he's like, okay. So you're saying I have to get back into my mother's womb and be born a second time. He's thinking in the natural. He's thinking logically. And so what we learn from this question is we cannot learn spiritual truths through, through natural human limitations. We cannot learn about the spiritual if we are just restricted to the natural. What do we mean by that? It means that our salvation is illogical. It doesn't make any sense. Now listen, there's a lot of logical things about God and there's a lot of things God does that seems very illogical to us. And our salvation is one of those things. The fact that the God of the universe would sacrifice his only son for a bunch of people like us and many people who will never care that he did such a thing. That is illogical. That doesn't make any sense. But that's the supernatural nature of God and we cannot put our limitations on God. See, Jesus was talking about spiritual things, but Nicodemus couldn't get past the physical. He couldn't get to the fact that, that, that God miraculously saves and changes and provides for his followers. And this happens through the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Jesus answered, truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh. Whatever is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I told you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. So in verse three, Jesus says you have to be born again. In verse five, Jesus tells us how to be born again. So we must be born again. How? Well, Jesus is gonna tell us. It comes in two phases. The first one is we must be born of water. Now, some people argue the meaning of this, but I think the scripture answers the question on this, just my personal beliefs. I believe this is referring to the cleansing of sin through repentance and baptism. This goes perfectly along with Peter's first sermon in Acts chapter two. Everyone says, how do we be saved, Peter? And he says, repent, be baptized, and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, Acts 2.38. 
So to be born of the water is the cleansing of our sin, the forgiveness of our sin, and then the obedience of us getting baptized once we've been saved. And this is where the, the, the Christian journey kind of takes off, right? Kind of takes off from our baptism and we are spiritually remade. That's Romans chapter six, new creations, and that baptism is symbolic of that, okay? But it's not enough just to be born of the water. We must also be born of the spirit as well. Now, the Holy Spirit has always been active in the world, but only after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus was the Holy Spirit made to be personal, that it was for us as a person, as an individual. Throughout the whole Old Testament, the Holy Spirit is working. In the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is something that now resides in the followers of Jesus. So here's what's cool about being born again. We're not just born of the water, which means our sins are forgiven. Praise God, that's amazing. We're also born of the Spirit, which means God is not only with us, he is active in our lives. So not only are we forgiven, God is present. He is working with us, working through us, working on us, and you can't be any closer to someone than actually residing inside of them. And so we are born of water and we are born of the Spirit. That's what it means to be born again. In other words, what Jesus is alluding to is we have a choice. We have a choice to either live by the flesh or to live by the Spirit. To live in the Spirit means we live in an obedient relationship with Jesus Christ. Living by the Spirit is not only living in a relationship with Jesus, this is a natural byproduct of living in a relationship with Jesus, but we live by kingdom principles. If you're wondering what the heck I mean by that, Matthew 5, 6, and 7 gives you a pretty concise list of how it means, of what it means to live by kingdom principles. That's the Sermon on the Mount. Kingdom principles are the opposite of earthly principles. Kingdom principles say crazy things like, love those that hate you. Pray for those that persecute you. If someone asks you to walk a mile, walk two miles. If someone hits your left cheek, offer them your right cheek. You know that's a kingdom principle because the worldly principle is if someone hits you, hit them back harder, right? If someone takes something from you, take more from them. But the kingdom says if they take your shirt, offer them your shoes. These are kingdom principles that we are to not judge people until we deal with the sin that is in our life. It is only when we can look at people accurately is when we've dealt with the evil in our life. Matthew chapter seven, the first couple of verses. These are kingdom principles. And when we live by these kingdom principles, when we're living in the spirit, we live in the power of the Holy Spirit, that it transforms us. And we are able to experience this, things in this life, and then of course in eternity, that we are not able to experience by our own means. They are of the spirit, not of the flesh. They're, they're bigger, they're more important than that. Another way to frame this decision that Jesus is posing to Nicodemus is, is that it's like choosing between death or life. To live in the flesh is to live in metaphorical death. Sin, now listen, sin can result in literal death. If you get drunk and drive enough, you're gonna end up killing yourself or someone else. It's gonna result in death. If you're promiscuous enough, you're eventually going to contract a disease that will kill your body. It may result in literal death. But what he's talking about between the flesh and the spirit is the flesh always leads to destruction. There are consequences. We don't believe in consequences in America anymore, but there are consequences, ramifications to the sinful things that we do. Not only are there consequences now, there will be eternal consequences. That's hell. I apologize for talking about hell in church. That's not very cool anymore either, even though Jesus talked about it quite often in the gospels. But when we live in the spirit, we live through, through we look at everything through the lens of God. And again, we experience things that are unobtainable. If we're looking at it through the lens of the world, we experience things like peace and joy and real love. And this is what the world wants, but they're looking at it in the wrong way. They're looking at it through the wrong means. They're trying to look at it through the flesh. 
They think that love and peace and joy comes by having more sex or smoking more dope or, or, or gaining more material possessions. They're trying to obtain these things the wrong way. They're trying to obtain these things through the flesh. And God goes, no, 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 no. Jesus says, you have to do that through the spirit. You have to pursue those things through the spirit and you will obtain these things. And so the analogy Jesus uses about wind, it's actually about the Holy Spirit. I'm gonna be careful how I say this. And I said it at a couple of the other services and I kicked myself after every service, but, but here we are again. Jesus looks at Nicodemus and he says, the Holy Spirit is like the wind. You don't see the wind. But if you've ever noticed the, the, what the wind can do, I have seen the wind move whole cars. I have seen wind topple buildings. You can't see it, but you can see the effects of it. The reason why Jesus uses this analogy is the Holy Spirit is the same way. You can't see the Holy Spirit, but you can see the effects of the Holy Spirit. You can see how not only it changes us, but what this teaches us is this, and here's where I'm gonna have to be careful. In the last slide, I said that the world is pursuing the same things that you're pursuing, they're just pursuing it the wrong way. And I swore to a couple of my friends I would not bring up the Grammys because plenty of Christians have already done a good job pointing out the fact that non-Christians act like non-Christians. Anyways, those people are pursuing the same things you're pursuing, they're just doing it the wrong way. You know what the problem with Christianity is? If we have the power of the Holy Spirit that is invisible but, but can move large things, if we isolate ourselves from the world and we use all of our time criticizing people that don't know Christ, instead of getting to know people who don't know Christ, the Holy Spirit's effects will not be seen because the Holy Spirit has made a little bubble where it hangs out and doesn't hang out with anyone who doesn't know who the Holy Spirit is. You know what a better use of Christian's time is than talking bad about Sam Smith? getting to know people like Sam Smith and to pray for Sam Smith. I didn't see one Christian post anything about, we need to pray for this guy. It was, look how bad this guy is. It's because he's broken, brothers and sisters. And what he did was absolutely wrong and it was blasphemous and we should pray for him all the more. But the world will never feel the effects of the Holy Spirit if people who are filled with the Holy Spirit don't take any time to go out into the world. But Corey, it's scary out there. Out like sheep among wolves, Jesus said. Jesus didn't say it wasn't intimidating. He just said that he is with you and you can already overcome it. He has already won the battle. We have nothing to be afraid of. We're not to, hold on, we're not to be isolated from the real world. We're to be insulated with the light of the Holy Spirit because no amount of darkness can overcome the light that is in you and I. Amen. Anyone over here, amen? Thank you. All right, I'll move on. Next part, sorry. How can these things be? Asked Nicodemus. Are you a teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? Jesus replied. Truly I tell you, we speak what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but you don't accept our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. So again, Nicodemus still doesn't get it. And he says, ah, I don't get it. How can these things be? And this is gonna lead Jesus to saying, again, probably the most important words ever written down, a very simple explanation, that the only means to eternal life is through the cross and through a relationship with Jesus. It is through the forgiveness of sins that Jesus offered through the cross and it's through having a relationship with him, that's it. And Jesus is not trying to be snarky, right? Right here in this red part that I just read. He's saying, aren't you a teacher? Shouldn't you know this? Basically, any Jew, especially Jewish rabbis and teachers, they should have known because the entire Old Testament is like a big flashing arrow pointing towards Jesus, pointing towards the Messiah. And Isaiah 53 may be the most blatant prophecy, basically talks in detail about what Jesus would look like and what he would go through. But Jesus says, you didn't accept it. 
You didn't accept that, that I am he, that I am the Messiah. And then he goes on to say, if you don't believe me about earthly things, why would you believe me about spiritual things? Now, what does he mean by that? What Jesus means is he's saying to Nicodemus, he says, if you don't believe that people can be born again, if you don't believe people can change, if you don't think the Savior has the ability to change people's lives, how they think, how they act, how they speak, how they live, if you don't believe that basic fundamental truth, how can you believe anything else that he says? And I'm gonna pose that to us today. In American Christianity, we have twisted theology to believe that we can be saved without being changed. And that's incorrect. That is not biblical in any way. And so there are so many professing Christians that they say they have given their life to Christ, but there is no change. They're still addicted to porn. They're still mean as heck, right? Aren't you guys happy I said heck? Once upon a time, I would have used another word. See, God is refining me. <laughs> Someone clapped back there in the back. That, that God changes us. If we don't believe that, listen, if we don't believe our savior can change us, he's not much of a savior. Probably not worth worshiping. And so if we do not believe that Jesus can save us and change us, let's just say change. Let's not even use the word saved. If we don't think Jesus can change the way we think and act, this whole book goes out the window. None of it's worth anything. Yet we remain addicted, we remain angry, we remain racist, we remain misogynistic, we remain um, swindlers and liars, and we remain in those sins, and that's not the way it's supposed to be. Romans chapter six, right? And so Jesus is saying, if you can't believe me on that basic level, you can't believe anything I'm gonna say. And then Jesus ends this section in a very, very interesting way. If you have never read Numbers chapter 21, it's like my personal nightmare. All of the Jews were being rebellious towards God and God sends venomous snakes into their camp. And it starts biting different people amongst the, the, the Israelites and people are dying, right? It's kind of a punishment for their rebellion and inappreciativeness for, for God. Moses is told to make a bronze snake and to lift it up. And then anyone who looks at this, they will be cured of the venom from these poisonous snakes that are in the camp why in the world would Jesus make a reference to that? The reason why is this, that just like all the Jews had to look up at this thing that God was doing and they would be healed from the venom of the snakes, Jesus will be lifted up on a cross that anyone who, sit, who sets their eyes on the cross will be healed of the venom of the snake that infiltrated humanity, that was the devil. And the venom is sin, and that we will be forgiven and liberated from our sinful lifestyles, but we have to look at Jesus Christ lifted up on the cross. Interesting how those two things work together. So Nicodemus came from a religious background that, that thought we could earn our own salvation. So this is how humans work. God gave us 10 commandments, 10. And over time, the people of God added on 600 plus commandments onto the ones that God gave us. That's just like us, right? God's really simple. Here it is, just 10 things. Do and don't do these things. We add 600 more to those and the weight of it was too much. And so all the religious people thought, if I can just follow these 600 plus rules, I will earn my way into salvation. And Jesus was telling Nicodemus, your works cannot buy your way into heaven. The only thing that can get, the only way you can see the kingdom of God is you must go through me. It is by my work, not by your work. Now listen, we are saved by grace through faith. Paul wrote this in Ephesians. There is nothing you and I can do to save our souls, but that doesn't mean that we don't have to be responsible. We are all still responsible for trusting Jesus. Our, our, our work, our responsibility, and our salvation is just saying yes to Jesus. It is being obedient, it is trusting him. It's like if you get in a car, it is not the key that makes the car go forward, but you have to have the key to turn it on. It is not our faith that saves us, our faith is the key. And that activates Jesus saving our souls. And that's what Jesus wanted to tell and teach Nicodemus, okay? Last part, maybe the most important part. For God loved the world in this way, he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. 
For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only son of God. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. Very, very important. This could be the center point of the entire Bible. The most important words ever documented, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not die, but have eternal life. Nicodemus was highly religious, but he, he lacked spiritual insight. So Jesus made it as simple and as understandable as humanly possible. Jesus classified everyone into two groups, those who believe and those who do not believe. For those who believe, Jesus becomes the exclusive only pathway to God. He is the only way to eternal life. And the verb that John uses to describe what Jesus said is agapau. Agapau is, is kind of the deepest form of love. It is you thinking about someone else much more than you would ever think about yourself. It's, it's this just huge consideration for the recipient of your love. That's the verb that is used right there. And God shows this deep love to us by giving his son as the payment for our sin, our atonement. Now listen, I, I, I love all of you in this room. I will do whatever I can for you in this room. I would not for any one of you give one of my two daughters. I would not sacrifice one of my children for you. I just wouldn't do it. God, who loves us so much, sacrificed his only son, not just for people who would accept it. He did it for people who would not only deny it, but they would make fun of it. They would blaspheme it. They would spit on it. They would make jokes about it. And they would make satirical movies on Netflix, making fun of Christ. And they would do, Jesus died for them as well. God gave his son for even people who wouldn't appreciate it. And Jesus didn't, didn't simply die for the world's evil, all these people way out there. Jesus died for what you did, for what I did. Let me tell you what I mean by that. We often talk about the evil like it's something far away, right? We are really good as Christians to talk about the evil of everyone else. But here's the thing, we have no right to talk about everyone else's evil until we've addressed the evil in our own lives. So you know whose sin put Christ on the cross? This guy. I am partially responsible. I contributed to Christ being on the cross. And that's dark and that's heavy. And I know it's Super Bowl Sunday and I should be talking about, you know, we should all be wearing jerseys and I should have written some cute fluffy message about Jesus and like football. And I don't know how you do that. I couldn't think of anything off the top of my head. But we're gonna talk about real things today. And one of those real things is that our sin contributed to the cross. If you wanna turn that around though, this is much more positive. When Christ was on that cross, he thought about me and he died for my sin and he died for your drug addiction and your lust problem and he died for your anger issues. Romans says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He is a personal God, a personal God we all contributed to the mess, but he personally forgives every single one of us as well. And he frees us from condemnation. There is this narrative in the world right now. There's this narrative in the world right now that church is all about condemnation. Now, I'm not saying you haven't been to some churches that are condemning, but that's not true Christianity. But we live in such a hypersensitive culture right now. Even Christians, you walk into a church and you hear people talk. I've had hateful emails sent to me. Why do you talk about sin so much? It's the same reason why a doctor talks about cancer so much. Because if you have it, it's going to kill you. Why do you keep talking about sin? Because it will eternally separate you from God. This is a relatively big deal, correct? But it's not about condemnation. 
This is about liberation from condemnation. Our sinful choices are what condemn us, not God. Jesus came to save us from our bad decisions. Jesus essentially came to save us from ourselves. But we have to believe in him and we have to obediently follow him. And we have to understand that we need saving. He doesn't condemn us, he saves us from eternal condemnation. And it's not, look, it's not that the path that Jesus laid out was unclear. It's not that God doesn't have the power to change us, to liberate us. The problem is, is that many people have fallen in love with the darkness rather than the light. And so we have chosen to do things. We have choice. We have chosen to do things that are destroying us. And what happens is, is many people hide in the shadows because they know what they're doing is evil. Or some people hide in the shadows because they love the shadows. In American society right now, we have made the shadows the most popular thing in our culture. We're all about the shadows. We have brought the shadows out to the forefront, right? We do reward that. We honor that. It's our best-selling records. It's our best-selling movies. It's, it's, it's what drives our economy is the shadows. <laughs> Someone's Siri checking me over here, fact-checking me. So what happens though is when we fall in love with the darkness, it's the darkness that condemns us and it condemns us presently and it will condemn us for eternity if we do not allow Jesus into our life. So then now some people would take it even further and they say, well, Corey, how could a loving God send people to hell? It is not God's desire that anyone go to hell. That's in the Bible. It is not God's desire that any perish, the New Testament says. He didn't die, Jesus didn't die on the cross uh, so people could go to hell. He died on the cross so everyone would have the opportunity to escape hell. The reason we go to hell is our eternity is just an extension of the things that we lived for in this life. We're already on a sinking ship and in God's grace and mercy, he says, let me help you off the, help you off the ship. But our eternity is just receiving what we've already wanted. If I have lived my whole life saying, I got it, you can't tell me what to do. It's all about my choices. I'm gonna live how I wanna live. I'm gonna follow my heart, follow my path. When we die, God just says, here's an existence without me. You did not want me in your life. Here is an eternity and I will not bother you. Now listen, again, I, I, I'm sorry to talk about spiritual things in church, but I don't know if hell is literal fire and brimstone and I don't care. I know that hell will be a place completely devoid of any good, any remnants of God. If you were to take the 1,500 people in this room right now and completely remove God from this room and from all of us, you don't need fire and brimstone. It would be hell. We would tear each other apart. Imagine an atmosphere like that, but no one can die. That is hell. Hell is eternity apart from God, but we choose this. And if we live this entire life saying, no, thank you, at the end of our life, he just says, this is what you've always wanted. If we have lived this life, listen, even in our imperfection, if we have lived this life pursuing a relationship with him, he says, come on, you're gonna have a perfect relationship with me forever. This is what you've always wanted. This is what you will get. But again, hell is not the desire of God. Those who not only want to be freed from the consequences of sin in this life, but those who want to be with their creator forever, we can have that. But to have that, we have to step into the light. If you look at that last part that I read, those who don't wanna be in a relationship with God, they stay in the darkness. Those who want a relationship with God, they step into the light. And what the light does is it exposes things that need to be healed. It exposes the sin in our life. Let's go back to the cancer analogy, right? It exposes the cancerous things about our soul that need to be dealt with and addressed and forgiven. And when those things are forgiven and addressed, we can have eternal life. We can be made new. And when we desire this change, we respond to the truth by building a relationship with Jesus. And then this relationship will have works. It will have evidence People shouldn't look at us and go, are they a Christian? It should be evident in how we live that we are in a relationship with Jesus Christ. But we have to want this. 
Nicodemus wanted this. He was hungry for this. And what's interesting about Nicodemus is this is a guy that had everything. Again, this guy had money, he had education, he had power, he had prestige, he had influence. He had everything that we could possibly want. Or let me take that back. He had everything that the world says that you should possibly want. But he was still unfulfilled. There was still something missing in Nicodemus. Now, if you're in this room, you may have a lot. And listen, there's nothing evil about having a lot. Nicodemus was not an evil man. He was successful and had a lot, but that didn't make him evil. He was just unfulfilled because he didn't have Jesus. You may be in this room and you may have everything you need material-wise. Or you may be in this room and you, you don't have two nickels to rub together. Regardless of where you are, though, the question is the same. Are we seeking answers? Are we looking for truth? We are, the United States right now, we must be the most shallow, razor-thin people that have ever lived in human history. We are so shallow. We're the kind of people right now where art, art, I don't even know if that exists anymore, but like, like, let's go back to the Grammys. The songs that do win the Grammys, go back and read the lyrics. There's like eight words in the whole song. I'm gonna get you, girl. Yeah, 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 yeah. Boom, that's it, that's art. It's like if a 13-year-old who just learned to play guitar is like, I got it. I'm gonna get you, girl. Yeah, 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 yeah. And we're like, that's, that's the pinnacle of our creativity right now. Right, that's it. And it took 14 people to write that song. <laughs> and they're all making more money than you. Oh. But this is how razor thin we are right now, guys. We can't even watch an hour and a half long movie. Once upon a time, movies used to be made about stories about the Old Testament and they were four hours long with an intermission. Those of you old enough to remember intermissions? Movies so dang long, they give you time to go use the bathroom when you're at the theater? Now we watch 30-second blips. We'll watch 12 hours of that mindlessly. But that's where we are now. We've become a society that is so shallow. We're not asking the big questions. We're not asking, where did we come from? We're not asking, what is the meaning of all this? We're not asking, why was I designed? What is my purpose? What is fulfillment? What is the truth? We're not asking these things. And so if we ask these things, if we will ask objectively, not subjectively, objectively, what is the truth? If we will approach these questions with humility, we will come to the fork in the road that is Jesus Christ. How, how can you say that? Because Jesus said, if you seek, you will find. That doesn't mean that doesn't mean you will accept, but you will find. Anyone who digs for the truth will eventually cross the path of Jesus Christ. And then at that point, we must then ask ourselves, are we willing to give it all up for the truth? Are we willing to lay it all down for the truth? Are we willing to do what this book says? And it really boils down to, I know everyone says they want eternal life, but if you stop, if you have to stop having sex with your boyfriend, well, I, I don't want it that bad. You guys with me? I'm sorry to talk real this morning, but we all say we want answers, but I think we want them if it validates what we already think. So, so many people struggle with the fact that there is only one answer. There is only one truth. There's only pathway, only one pathway to eternal life. Maybe the most divisive thing about Christianity is Christianity believes there is only one way to heaven, that is through Jesus Christ. That is a divisive statement. Unfortunately, that's a divisive statement even in some Christian churches in the United States. To say that there is not multiple gods, there is one God, one God. It is Jesus Christ. There is one truth. If you're a Christian in here, you can never say that's my truth. There is no your truth or my truth. There's just truth. We can choose to live in it or not live in it, but there's only one truth. Many people will struggle with the temptation to give up their desires and wants. But Corey, I feel like this. 
Jeremiah 17, nine says, your feelings will lie to you. If you go around, if you live just trusting your feelings, you're eventually gonna cheat on your wife. If you live just trusting your feelings, you're gonna steal things. You're gonna be entitled. You're gonna be materialistic. This is what the world is teaching you right now. And so it begs the question, how have we done in the absence of God? How have we done as a society in the absence of God? Right now, Christianity is declining, not just Christianity, any belief in any theistic idea is declining at a remarkable rate in the United States. At the same time, atheism is rising at an unprecedented rate. The God of the United States is the God of self. The second greatest God will worship in about four hours, but the biggest God in America is the God of self. And the more that we think we're the highest thing in the universe, the more we don't believe in the true God and we place ourselves in the position of God, it is remarkable to me. There are more people committing suicide right now in the United States than has ever been recorded in human history. In every demographic, amongst rich white males, amongst black people, amongst Asians, amongst women, amongst the elderly, amongst children, there are more people taking their lives right now than that stat has ever recorded in the past. Right now, it says that over 10% of all Ameri Americans struggle with debilitating depression and anxiety. 20% plus of all Americans have mental illness right now. We're getting divorced quicker than we ever have if we're getting married at all. We're more aggressive than we ever had. There's more domestic abuse recorded right now than there ever has been. And the more and more this goes on, the world is telling you, just do you. How is that working? Has it made the family better? What is the family? Has it made your life better? Do you sleep better at night? Do we get along better? Are we more unified? Are we classier people? Are we people with greater integrity? No, because we have fallen into the same trap that started way back in Genesis chapter three when the devil walked up to Eve and says, who says that you can't eat from that tree? Did God say that? God told you that you can't do that because you will be like God if you do that. The devil said, if you do what you wanna do, you'll be like God. Does it sound like the country you live in? That is, that is the bedrock, listen to me. That is the bedrock of Luciferian thought, of satanic thought. I've said this a dozen times over the years. The, the, the grandfather of Satanism, the grandfather of occultism was a guy named Aleister Crowley. If you wanna look him up, he was called the most evil man alive. He's dead now. But Aleister Crowley wrote a book called The Law of Thelema. And the Law of Thelema, again, which was the starting point of all occultism and satanic thought in the Western world, Aleister Crowley wrote this. This is The Law of Thelema. He says, do as thou wilt is the whole of the law. Translated for our modern day vernacular, do what you wanna do is the only law that matters. Do what you wanna do is the only law that matters. How has our way worked? Let's not talk about it on a macro level. How has your decisions worked? When you try to make decisions, how, and I try to make decisions apart from God, how is that working for us? So, so look, the human way doesn't work. So back to the very beginning of the lesson. That's why Jesus says you must be born again. We were born into this broken state of humanity. And Jesus says you have to be born out of that. We are first born from our mother, right? But then we must be born of water and spirit. We must be born out of that. Well, Corey, I was just born that way. I get it. I believe you, but you must be born again. Corey, I was just born with this bad temper, but that's not okay. You have to be born again. Corey, I was just born with a sexual proclivity to do this. Okay, you have to be born again. I don't care what the excuse is. The answer is you have to be born again if you're going to see the kingdom of God. Would you bow your heads with me, please?
if you are in this room and maybe you do not have a relationship with God, maybe you have questions, maybe you're on a journey. I am, I am so happy if anyone's on that journey. That is a wonderful place to be. It's an exciting place to be. I challenge you to objectively and humbly look for the answers. If we can help up here on my right, your left, Pastor Amanda is up here. She's our student pastor. If you have any questions for Amanda, she will do her best to help you, okay? We also have men and women on both sides of the stage. If you need prayer for anything in your life, anything, please let one of these men or women pray with you. Listen, we can't forgive sin. No man or woman can do that. But if you wanna confess something and let someone pray with you up here, God can forgive you. If you need prayer for anything though, let us pray with you. We also have all the way around this room, wherever you see a lamp on a table and then the different posts throughout the room in the center and on the outside, there's communion, there's bread and wine. That represents the fact that Jesus was nailed to the cross, gave up his body and blood for the forgiveness of our sins and for our salvation so we could be born again. Everyone is welcome to take communion, but you must ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins, okay? I'd like to pray with you. Father God, I love you. <sighs> Father, keep your hand on everyone in this room. Lord, we have all fallen short. We have all made mistakes. We will make more mistakes, God. We have all been selfish. We have all tried our own path. Father, God, sober us up and let us understand that our paths will never be fulfilling. Our decisions apart from you, God, giving us wisdom will never lead us to where we wanna go. The idea that it's all about following our, our heart and ourself and our ideas, God, that's, that, that's what's going to condemn us. Let us know that, God. And Lord, let us humbly lean on you. Let us seek you, God. Lord, let us live in your truth. And God, let us be the light that goes out into the darkness, that we're not talking bad about sinners, but we are getting to know sinners so we can introduce them to you so they can be born again. God, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. Keep your hand on everyone in this room. Keep them safe. Bless them. Bless their marriages, their family, their friends, their neighborhoods, God. We pray all this in your name, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all.